All right, welcome everybody. We'll be in Daniel chapter 6 tonight, but first let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for tonight, and thank you for just a chance to study your word and to learn from what this last portion of the narrative of the book of Daniel has for us. Help us to be humble before your word. Help us to learn from it. Help us to love you more through it. And this is all uh, in your name and for your glory. So we pray. Amen. So Daniel chapter 6, and as we're closing this narrative portion of the book of Daniel, as we said at the beginning of starting this Daniel series, there's six chapters of narrative and then six chapters of prophecy. And now, tonight we are wrapping up the narrative before we jump into prophecy next week. And we wrap up with what is likely a familiar story to many of you. And the text is probably the first thing you think of when you hear the name Daniel or you think of the book of Daniel is the famous Daniel in the lion's den. Now this story, like many notorious Bible stories, has made for many great illustrations in our world that often miss the whole point of the story, unfortunately. Daniel, a man, a man of undoubtedly great faith, whose faith is even mentioned in Hebrews 11, the, the hall of faith. It says that the prophets who closed the mouths of lions. So Daniel does have great faith and is put to the test in this. He stands firm and he remains faithful to his God despite government oppression. And this is all true of Daniel's great faith in this great trial that he faces with the lion's den. But this miraculous story is often only attributed to David's faith, or Daniel's faith, not David's faith. And I don't think Daniel's faith is the point of this story. You see, many faithful men and faithful women over the years have had faith like Daniel, yet many have suffered because of their faith. And I would actually argue that there is much harm in attributing Daniel's deliverance from the pit of the lions merely to his strong faith, because if that were to be the case, all the martyrs and all the saints of church history who have been killed for the faith would not have had the level of faith that Daniel did, or else they too would have been spared. So I don't think this great deliverance is a miraculous work of Daniel's faith. I think it's more a miraculous work of Daniel's God. But before we get to that part, let's start from the beginning. And I want to submit to you three things today that this text teaches us. It is one principle, one example, and one sovereign. And that's what the title of this teaching will be tonight. One principle, one example, and one sovereign. So if you read with me, verses 1 through 5, the author writes, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And I've given section headings as we follow along this story in 28 verses to break it up. Section by section, we'll follow, for the most part, the paragraph breaks as the ESV goes. And I've given a heading to each of these sections just to help guide our understanding of each of these. And this first one 
titled Daniel's Dominion, because in this we see the setting and the setup of Daniel's power, his dominion, his rule that he has in this nation that the king Darius has entrusted to him. Daniel has an excellent spirit in him. Daniel is faithful. He was a good worker. And so he's appointed to a high place. He's given a lot of power over the people here. Daniel has this great reputation and has helped him to climb the ranks in this nation. But Daniel has this impending persecution from the others who want to bring him down because they know that Daniel will break the law. They set up this trap because they know that Daniel will break the law if it forbids him from praying to his God. So they're devising this trap to have Daniel fall into this to where they can actually get him in trouble because they can find no wrong with him otherwise. That's what we see in verses 6 through 9. as It says, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdoms, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. And now we have Daniel's dilemma that they are plotting against him, trying to get him in trouble to get him out of power. And we see that this is according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. And all this means is that it is irrevocable. As soon as the king passes it, not even the king himself can revoke the law. So it is a permanent 30-day law. So the officials present this idea to the king and encourage him to sign this into law. And Darius, being the prideful king that he is, thinks it's a great idea. People only pray to him for 30 days. He doesn't see anything wrong with it. And so he writes this proposal into law that for 30 days no one can petition anyone, any god, besides Darius. And although this may be Daniel's dilemma, they're plotting and plotting a trap against him, it really is no dilemma for Daniel himself. He knows what he will do as soon as he hears this law. He knows that there's nothing that will stop him from praying to his God, from communing with his God, even if it's the law of the land forbidding him to do so. So there's no true internal dilemma for Daniel. It's more of an external dilemma in this plotting and trapping to get Daniel out of power. And Daniel hears of the news in verses 10 through 13. It says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed... He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but he makes his petition three times a day. This is Daniel's downfall, where he is now guilty of the crime. He's gone against the law that has been made. He has prayed to his God. He has not petitioned to the king and this is Daniel's downfall according to the eyes of the world. 
And just imagine what the locals would have thought. Daniel, you disobeyed the law just to pray to your God. Daniel, you risked your authority in public office just because you wanted to pray three times a day. Daniel, you risked your good reputation because you couldn't go just 30 days. You couldn't go a month without prayer. And this is a downfall to in the eyes of the world. He risked his reputation. He risked his authority just for the sake of communion with his God. And although this is a downfall in the eyes of the world, it's a great stand for a follower of God. This is where we get our principle from this text. And the principle is this. Our submission is always first to God and then to our authorities. The government is a God-created institution made to wield the sword for God on earth. But there are times when the government crosses the line into territory that is not theirs, but God's. Daniel's allegiance was first to God, not to his government. This is the principle that we can learn from this text. Christians are willingly to submit to the government, trusting that the Lord is guiding the government. But when the authorities enact a law or propose an idea that goes against God's way for his people, we do not bend the knee. Daniel, with this great principle, also provides us with a great example of how to navigate a situation like this. There is a lot of spiritual maturity that goes in to disobeying the government. The maturity to know when to obey, the maturity to know when not to obey, and the maturity to know how we disobey. Daniel doesn't cause a scene. He heard of the decree and went back to his house and prayed. He provides us with this great example of spiritual maturity, of not overreacting to this government order, although he thoroughly disagrees with it. He hears it, and he just goes back and continues with the spiritual disciplines that he has been for his whole life. Think of when the government forced churches to shut down for COVID. We could talk about this for a long time, but what I want to focus on is the level of spiritual maturity that we could see in certain pastors and congregations in response. Which pastors appeared more mature? Those who flocked to social media or to the news and caused a scene? Or those who silently went about navigating how to still hold church services in a way that was safe for their congregations. Likely, those who were more spiritually mature were the ones that didn't cause a scene about it. They just went about their normal business, just as Daniel did. He provides us with this great principle and this great example in these verses of how to walk in spiritual maturity in the midst of oppression by the government. Because Daniel is a principled, faithful man, He now receives punishment for it. We see that in verses 14 through 18. And it says, The king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Here we have Darius's distress over Daniel being sent into the den. And it's a unique situation that Darius is in because the law that he had just signed 
has already come back to bite him. He worked hard. He labored all day to figure out if there was a way around it. And there was no way that he could get Daniel out of this circumstance, out of this punishment for breaking the law. He was distressed because he loved Daniel. Daniel was a good worker. He was a good employee. He was rising the ranks in the kingdom. He was a man of great spirit, of great character. There was nothing to not like about Daniel, even though they had different beliefs. He does not want Daniel to receive this punishment awaiting those who break the law that he issued. What we see is interesting here in verse 16 is that Darius seems to have a trust in Daniel's God. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. So it seems like there's this faith or this trust that whoever the God is that Daniel serves will deliver him from the den of lions. And the King James Version translates it a little bit differently. It says, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. It is not a a pleading with God that may he deliver. It's an assertion that God will deliver Daniel. And one of the commentators on this text says that, that the Aramaic lends itself to be translated as an actual statement, not a plea. That this really is the king saying, Daniel, your God will deliver you out of this. Darius was distressed about the situation, but he believed that Yahweh could spare Daniel even though the king couldn't. Thus, his eagerness to see if Daniel was still alive in verses 19 through 24. And it says, Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. They have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces." And these verses capture Daniel's deliverance from the pits of the lions, from the den of lions. He's preserved through the night and he makes it into the morning. What we notice here in the text, there's suspense building that it could have been told pretty quickly that Daniel was still alive. We go through all of verse 19 and then all of verse 20, letting suspense build and build and build until we have Daniel's response of deliverance in verse 21. And the king responds with joy and gladness over Daniel's preservation. And then he immediately persecutes those who maliciously accused Daniel. And then something beautiful that we see in this passage is language is very similar to our beloved doctrine of justification by faith. If you look at verse 23, it says, So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. This is... The same for those who trust in Jesus Christ as well. No kind of harm is found on them when they stand in the judgment. They stand clean and innocent because of the work of Jesus Christ. No harm is found on those who are in Christ. For those who are followers, for those who are believers in God, they can stand clean and pure in the judgment. And then Darius closes with 
a great word of praise, his own doxology, if you will, in verses 25 through 28. It says, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is where we land with our, our final point, which is actually the main point of this whole text. There is one sovereign. It is not King Darius. It is not King Nebuchadnezzar from earlier in Daniel. It is not Daniel and all the power that he had been given or all the faith that he had displayed. And it is Yahweh. Yahweh is the one true sovereign in this text. And Darius submitting himself to Yahweh, similar how Nebuchadnezzar did earlier in Daniel, is a slight picture of what happens at the end of the ages. Psalm 138 gives us this picture and it says, All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. And although this psalm won't be fully realized until glory, we get a glimpse into what it will look like when a sovereign of a nation actually bows to the sovereign of all, when, when every knee will bow before the sovereign of all. And in trying to figure out what the main point of this text is, whether it's Daniel's faith or whether it's actually Daniel's God, we can actually look at just a common interpretive principle, and that is just to look for repeated words or phrases. If you notice as we were going through, there's much reference to Daniel's God, whether it's the others talking about his God, Daniel talking about my God, King Darius talking about the living God. We see in verses 5, 10, 11, 16, 20, 22, 23, 26, and 27, they're all references to Daniel's God. And then the king closes in what could have closed in the great praise of Daniel for his miraculous faith in his God. He closes with just a praise to Daniel's God, saying that he is the living God, that Yahweh endures forever, that his kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. It is this sovereign of the nation submitting to the true sovereign over all. This is God's sovereignty on full display in the story of Daniel in the lion's den. This text is not just about Daniel's faith. We get a good example from Daniel with his faith. But this text is truly about the beautiful sovereignty of our God. This text gives us a principle of that we are to submit first to our God and then to our authorities gives us the example of Daniel and his faith and his spiritual maturity and how to navigate hard circumstances when we're exiles in a foreign land. And this text gives us the truth that there is one sovereign and it's not the rulers or the authorities. It is God, it is Yahweh, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is sovereign over all. That is what we can learn from Daniel in the lion's den. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign over all, that you have everything worked out according to your plan and according to your glory, that you can save Daniel even when the king couldn't, that you can save us weary sinners and we could do nothing on our own. We thank you for the truth of your sovereignty and, and the glorious doctrine that that is. Pray that you give us faith like Daniel. Pray that you give us courage to 
to know when to submit to you and know when to submit to our authorities. And Lord, we just pray that you give us great faith and endurance to, to believe in you the way that Daniel believes in you and to submit to you the way that King Darius even submitted to you, Lord, that you are truly Lord over all. We thank you, Lord. It's all in your name. Amen.